morning, if you would, take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the book of Luke. If you would, Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7 is where we'll be at. And for the last, I guess we're going on our 16th week now, we've been going through a series on Sunday morning about the parables of Christ. The parables of Christ, the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in his life and his earthly ministry. And as you're turning there to Luke chapter number 7, uh, we're going to see another parable today. But it's going to be a story that goes along with the parable. And I hope it's a blessing to you as we read here in just a moment in Luke chapter number 7. We're going to pick up reading in verse 36 in just a moment. But as I said, we've been looking at several parables of Christ where a parable is Jesus trying to instruct to the Pharisees, the common people, even to his disciples. He's trying to teach them something about God, or something about the spiritual life, the kingdom of heaven. But he's putting it in a very earthly, a very easy to understand Mode. I call it keeping it simple. And I'm a guy that likes for you to keep it simple and where you can understand. And we're going to look at a situation here in Luke chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 36. So Luke 7, verse number 36. Uh, the Bible says this. And one of the Pharisees desired him, desired Jesus, that he would, he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. Verse 40 says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Simon, by the way, is the Pharisee in whose house Jesus was in. And he saith, Master, say on. Verse 41. Here's your parable. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Father, I pray you might add your blessing to the reading and teaching of your word this morning. Lord, I pray you might take me as your vessel. Lord, you cleanse me of sin and self. But Lord, I pray that before I ask you to use me today, Lord, I pray you make me usable. Lord, I have things in my life that, that I know are not necessarily right. And Lord, I ask you today just to forgive me of those sins and where I fail you. That there be nothing between my soul and you. And Lord, give me, fill me with your spirit that I might say what you have for me to say. And Lord, as we look at your word here in this room for the next few moments, 
Lord, I pray for every person that's present, every child that, that's on the property, Lord, every adult, every teenager. Lord, whatever it is they're facing in their life right now, Lord, I pray that you might use your word, speak through your word. May the word of God speak. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we just ask that today, may we make much of him. In his name we pray. Amen. When you come to this particular story, this particular account in scripture, you have this woman that comes, and as it says here, that Jesus was invited by Simon the Pharisee. That sounds like a great name, wouldn't it? How would you like to be known as Bob the Pharisee or as Jill the Pharisee? It doesn't sound real nice, does it? Because we understand now in today's world what the word Pharisee means. But Jesus is identifying this man named Simon. Why Simon brought him, invited him to the house, we really don't know. Some people think it was he was wanting to know more. I have a tendency, and by the way, that's philology, which means that in 50 cents still can't buy you coffee. But my idea is I believe the Pharisees were trying to learn more of Christ to try to trap him, to try to trick him. And the custom as it was in those days that whenever you had a guest for, for supper, that because of the traveling and the sand and the sandals and different things, when you went in there that the host would have servants come and they would wash the feet of the ones that the visitors that came in, just as a sign of gesture, as a sign of acceptance, as a sign of love, and, and what they could do to serve you. It's kind of interesting, and, and I love Jewish custom. I know y'all joke with me. I'm a history nerd. I like that kind of stuff. But in those days, if in a village somebody would have someone over to dinner, it was customary that the neighbors were allowed to come in and stand along the sides of the walls. They weren't to sit at the table. They weren't to eat. But they were allowed to come in and stand around the side and just look and listen to whoever it is you brought into your home. That would be pretty cool on a Sunday afternoon today, wouldn't it? You have your family over for dinner and then here comes the next door neighbors. We're not here to eat. We're just here to listen to what you talk about. That could be a sermon all by itself, too. We're not going to necessarily go there. Some of you are like, praise God, keep going, Phil. All right. But they would come in and they could do it. And this woman comes in. This woman comes in and... And a lot of people think, well, this is, the, this is the Mary, the Mary Magdalene. This is her that we study about in, in the book of Matthew. This has got to be her that came in and, and broke open the box and did it. This, this is not that Mary. This is not the more familiar story. Even when Jesus was in Bethany and, it, and a lady by the name of Mary came in Bethany when he sat in the house and, and, she, and she broke uh, open the box over the head of Christ. And it, this is not the same one. This is a different woman. And it says here, this woman, just as the villagers would do, would come in. Of course, you've got to think, it says that she was a sinner. Let's just be honest, what scripture means here is that she was a prostitute. And that she came in, and she didn't stand along the backs and stay in her place. That she had obviously have heard Jesus speak before, I personally believe. She probably heard Jesus, because just a day or two earlier, if you correlate Scripture chronologically together, Jesus, just the day before, preaches Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I firmly believe, personally, that she heard that message, because it was in the same town, the same place. She probably heard that and thought, I desire to come. And so they're sitting there, and they're getting ready to have dinner, and and the Pharisee has them there and doesn't do the customary things that you would to welcome a guest. But here comes in this woman and she takes this box, this alabaster box, and she breaks it open. And she falls at the feet of Jesus. And as she falls at the feet of Jesus, she puts the ointment on and she's crying and she's weeping. And, and there's no towel there. This is not her house. So she takes her hair. 
and starts wiping his feet between the ointment and between her tears. And you can imagine the dust and the dirt that was on the Lord Jesus' feet. You can imagine that her hair wasn't beautiful and flowing like she just stepped out of the salon. But she says, you know what, he's worth it. He's worthy. I don't know about you, but, you know, when it comes to my hair, I kind of like my hair being clean. I kind of like hate getting anything in my hair. If I have a bad hair day, thank the good Lord for hats. You know, I can put a hat on. And a lot of us really care a lot about our parents. And it's not the sermon today. But can I tell you something? This woman didn't care about what anyone else thought about. She didn't care about her personal outward appearance. You know what she cared about? What can I do to get to the feet of Jesus? Because he is worthy and I am not. And I want us to see some things this morning in this passage. If you have a bulletin, you can follow along there. There's the three points there that you can see that we'll go with. But some things I want us to understand, because as Jesus is sitting there, he gives this parable, this parable of the two debtors. And number one, I want us to understand something is this. Number one is that we all must be saved in the same manner. We all must be saved in the same manner. Look in verse number 40. Remember, she's there and she's... Um, wiping her hair with his, I mean, wiping his feet with her hair. And it says in verse 40, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, because he knew he was wondering like who Jesus, what Jesus was allowing to happen. He said, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. So he's like, Simon, i got something to tell you. And Simon goes, sure, go ahead. What is it? In verse 41, it says this. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And so, number one, we see that we all must be saved the same, in the same manner. And you say, what do you mean by that? Here it is, you have a woman that's at the feet of Christ. She's crying, she's pleading, and the only thing that this Pharisee and all his Pharisaical friends around him are thinking is, man, look at her. She's a sinner. She's an outcast. They even get to the idea in verse 39 saying, if Jesus was even a prophet, not just Christ, but if he was a prophet, he would know who is down here touching him, who, is, who this woman is. If he really was God, he would know who this is. But you know what it shows me? Whether you got a Pharisee who probably lived what we would call a clean moral life all his life. He knew the prayers. He knew the things he would memorize in Scripture. He knew how to go to church. He knew how to be active in the temple. He knew all the different things to say and not say outwardly. And here you have this woman who obviously in her outward lifestyle is obviously not pleasing to God. I think Jesus is stopping and saying this. You know what? They both get salvation the same way. Just because one person lives what we call a more moral life doesn't mean someone that doesn't has to come to Christ a different way. Don't you love how the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That you know what, whether you're here today, and you've been in church every moment that the doors have been open, and you've lived a clean moral life, or if you're here today, and you have things in your life that you pray and beg God that no one will ever know about you, and you feel worthless, and you feel too unlovable, can I tell you that you and the person that's been in church every Sunday of their life come to Jesus Christ for salvation the exact same way. You have equality at the cross. You are equal at the cross. Is that we're all saved the same way. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this same door, what does Jesus say? I am the door. 
He says lots of I am's, but he says, I am the door. And I tell you, the same door of entrance for us is the same door as for those that are the chief of sinners. That person you see out that doesn't look like you, doesn't act like you. They look like they're the world. They look like they're disdained with the, the stench and the horribleness of sin. Can I tell you that Jesus desires for them to come to the door of salvation just as much as he desires you sitting in here looking really good today, by the way, for church. The same door. And I want us to understand about this. There may be many differences in all of us. You may have a difference in opinion about various things. You might have a difference in opinion of what you think is moral or what is not moral. You may say this is right or this is not right. But when it comes to the matter of salvation, there's only one position that matters. And that your soul salvation comes through Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And that your faith and trust in Christ is the only thing that matters when it comes to salvation. It's the only thing. It doesn't matter how good of a life you live. You say, Phil, it doesn't matter if, if I get saved, I can go do whatever I want. No, can I preface it with this? If you truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to go live any way you want to live. Because if we're honest, and this is not very popular preaching today, you really want to know if someone's in with Christ or abides in Christ or salvation in Christ, their works, their fruit will show a relationship that's already happened. I wonder sometimes... People that don't care about the things of God, don't care about a relationship with God, don't care about reading their Bible, don't care about praying, don't care about church, don't care about pleasing God with their life, but say, oh, I said a prayer when I was younger. I dare say they're trusting in a prayer, not trusting in the Jesus, the God of the prayer. Because it does say, by their fruits you shall know them. You say, well, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. If there is a more misinterpreted verse in Scripture... People say, well, the Bible says judge not, lest you be judged. Keep reading the chapter. It says that you can judge somebody if in that area of your life, you have that part of your life right with God. Now, we think judge, we think coming down on punishing and being harsh. That's not what Jesus means when he says judge not, lest you be judged. He's saying do it with love, do it with compassion, do it with a desire not to condemn them, but to exhort them to know what, that they'll follow Christ, not follow you. That they won't be like you. That they'll be like Christ. And I see something in this particular parable that he's trying to emphasize to Simon and probably his disciples around. Is that we all must be saved. We all come to Christ in the same manner. Because I see in this parable this. Is that both parties were in debt. Look, look in the passage again back in verse 41. There's a creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. So you say, okay, Brother Phil, pences and all that stuff. Let's just make it. One guy has a guy that owes him 500 bucks. Another guy owes him 50 bucks. You know what these two guys have in common? They're both in debt. They're both in debt. Well, the one guy owes more than the other guy does. True. But when it comes down to it, they're both debtors. Regardless of how much or how little it is, they are both in debt. And by the way, just on a side note, If we're here today and you say in your life, well, I know you're talking about debt. I know you're talking about sin. You know, there's nothing in my life. I've never really done anything sinful. I've never done anything wrong. I can stand before God and his grace and salvation and say, you know, I've really never done anything that's displeasing to God. Welcome to the club because you just lied. Okay, because you just sinned then. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all debtors regardless of the depth of our debt. 
But we look here that both these guys were debtors. Sometimes we feel better about ourselves. You know why? I feel good about myself because my sin is not as bad as her sin. I feel better about myself because, yeah, I goof up right here, but man, I could just start writing a book about their faults. But here's the problem. The Bible says to compare ourselves with ourselves is unwise. And if I want to compare myself with someone, you know how I'm supposed to compare myself with? The deacon of the church. No. The preacher's kids. Please don't do that. Okay? If you really want to compare yourself with somebody, compare yourself with the one that came to this earth that didn't have to. Compare yourself with the one that was God and became flesh and humbled himself, not just as a man that would be crucified, but to an infant that was dependent, that needed mankind, fallen mankind, to help him and raise him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Desire to be the one that when others spit in his face, he said not a word. Desire to be the one and compare yourself to the one that even though they hit him and blindfolded him and mocked him and put a crown of thorns on his head and a robe on his bleeding, battered body and put a stick in his hand and said, Hail, King of the Jews. But yet it says he opened out his mouth or no guile was found. That's the one I'm supposed to compare myself to. When I want to compare my sin with others, I need to take my sin and say, how does it look compared to the Lord Jesus Christ? Not against that person there that's either driving me insane or I just want to feel better about myself today. Many of us will feel good about ourselves. Let's just be honest. We're going to go home. On our way home, we're going to see people that weren't in church today for whatever reason. Maybe they're out mowing their grass. Maybe they're working a job. Maybe they're doing something. We're going to feel pretty good about what we've done for God. I believe as the Apostle Paul says, all that I've done for Christ, I count as dung. I count as waste. I don't do it for myself. I do it so I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. What you do today, if you're doing it for yourself, go ahead and pat yourself on the back, because it's the only blessing you're going to get out of the whole process. But if you're here today, and you realize that I'm in debt to Christ, my sin has separated me from God, and I'm here today, and I don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, can I tell you, you have a debt that you cannot pay. You have a debt. This one guy owes 500, this other guy owes 50. But here's something interesting about it. Not only were they both debtors, I see also this. I also see that neither of them had the ability to pay the payment. What does it say in the verse again? Verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one 500 pence, the other 50. Now look at this. And when, I have underlined this in my Bible, they had nothing to pay. So it came time, the guy with 500, the creditor comes and says, you owe me 500. Guess what? He's pretty, pretty knowledgeable. He owed him 500. He says, all right, you ready to pay me? He says, I ain't got anything to pay you. And this guy over here owes 50. He owes 50, and he's probably thinking, man, that guy right there owes 500. He's got nothing to pay. But here's what he had to realize. He had nothing to pay either. He had no ability in himself to make the payment. Sometimes we happen to think this. Whoever owes the most has got to pay the most. But that's not the situation here. Neither of them had the ability to pay. See, as these Pharisees and as these Jews and as their custom was, they were all about the law. They're all about the Ten Commandments, all about the Old Testament, all about these rules and guidelines and all these things they had to do, which they all fall short. 
We all do. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. We can't keep them. We'll fall short. But remember what he said. If you're guilty in breaking one, you're guilty of them all. And under the law, there's nothing for us but debt and more debt and more debt. And we don't have the ability. You say, Brother Phil, what if I had the ability to pay for all of my sins of the past? Well, here's a sad note. You're going to sin some more. So even if you had the ability to pay for your debt of sin of the past, you're going to, as long as you're breathing in and out, you're going to have more debt and more debt and more sin and more sin in your life. And you won't have the ability to pay it yourself. You say, Brother Phil, I don't think so. You know, if I, if I could have forgiveness of my past sins, I think I'll be pretty good for the rest of my life. The Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. It's still God's demand on me every day that I do those things. And if I was able to meet everything and fulfill and have a covering for the sins of my past, can I tell you something? I couldn't cover my deficiencies and my sins that I'll commit for the rest of my life. You know what you're saying, Brother Phil? What are you saying? What I'm saying is this. Both men needed forgiveness. Both men had deficiencies. Yes, one was greater in the eyes of man than the other. But to the man, the creditor, to the man that was in charge, it didn't matter how much this one owed versus how much that one owed. Neither one of them had the ability to pay for what it was it was in their lives. But I love this. Even though you have a person here that has great debt, just like we have people that have great sin and they're deep in sin, kind of as he's talking about there, about the woman that came to him. And you have this one over here that doesn't owe as much, but still, as maybe a person that grew up in a good home or a good morally, you have a person there kind of like the Pharisees in which he's talking to. Neither one of them had the ability to forgive or pay their sins, but one did. It says in this passage here, in verse number 41, 42, excuse me, and when they had nothing to pay, look what it says. He frankly forgave them both. He frankly forgave them both. He did not say to either one of them, I'm going to set you a certain time. And you shall pay me as much as you can, and we'll just call it a day. Hey, go home, gather up as much money as you can, beg, borrow, steal, do whatever you got to do. Come to me at the end of the week, and whatever you can pay me, we'll just forgive the rest of it. He says, no, you have a debt that you can't pay one dime of, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive you, but I like the word in Scripture. Don't miss the word in Scripture in verse 42. He frankly forgave. You know the word frankly meant? Freely. No strings attached. Aren't you thankful today if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? He has forgiven you of all of your sins with no strings attached. You say, Brother Phil, but in my life, you know, I'm a Christian. I go away from God and I jump back in that debt of sin and I do things that aren't pleasing to Him. You know, God's going to keep bringing up my past, keep bringing up my past and guilting me about it. God doesn't guilt anybody. He does convict. He doesn't guilt. But I will tell you, you know what? He's not going to hold over your head and say, you know what? You're out here doing this now. Don't you remember what I forgave you for? He's not going to do that to you. He's going to frankly, that means freely. It means he's going to blot it out. And as the Bible says, I believe it's in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so he has blotted out and forgotten my transgressions. You know, you're going to bump into people in life that you do wrong, and they ain't ever going to forget it. You ever meet somebody you've done wrong, and you've even made it right? And everything's good, and it may be in a joking way or another way. They keep bringing up 
Hey, you did this to them. You said this to them. Or you didn't do this, what you said you're going to do. And they, even though they may have forgave you, they keep bringing it up. By the way, if you keep bringing up to somebody something they've done to you, don't say you forgave them and keep bringing it up. Because the goal of forgiveness is restoration, which means to return to the level it was. That's the goal of forgiveness. It's reconciliation. It's restoration. And I'm so thankful that when I get away from God and I sin in my flesh, and I do those things that aren't pleasing to God, God doesn't look at me and say, don't you remember I forgave you for this? Don't you remember I forgave you for that? No, no. If my sins are blotted out. God is omnipotent. That means God's all-powerful. But you know what's awesome about God? One of the many things. When I confess my sins and he forgives me of my sins, God chooses to forget my sins. I may, as long as I live, never forget the things that I've done wrong. Other people in my life may never forget the things that I've done wrong. But you know what? When you have forgiveness of sin in Christ as your Savior, he's forgotten about it. I, I hear people all the time say, well, you know, I, I have this sin in my life, and I did this in my past, and I asked God to forgive me for it. And I have this thing that I've done in my past, and I've asked Jesus to forgive me for it. And I've asked Jesus every single day to forgive me of that thing that I've done. Well, here's the question. Do you really believe he can forgive you or not? Because why ask him to do something that he already promises that if you come in the right heart and right spirit, he's already done it. Why do you keep bringing up something he's already taken care of? It's kind of like my kids come and say, Daddy, can I have a drink? And I get a drink out of the refrigerator, and I come and place it in their hand. And the kid looks at me and says, Daddy, can I have a drink? Well, honey, I just put one in your hand. Oh, okay. Daddy, can I have a drink? Baby, baby, I gave you a drink. You probably have some other problems now that I'm not understanding, okay? Okay, um, thank you. Daddy, can I have a drink? You say, something's ridiculous about it. It's just as ridiculous of you living in your past sins that you've already got forgiveness for. And by the way, who do you think desires you to live in your failures in your past? It isn't God. It's Satan. Because Satan knows if he can get you to live in your already forgiven sin, you'll never go forward for him in the grace and mercy he desires for you to be. Because Satan's goal in your life is to destroy you, but it's not with one fatal swoop. It's to make you keep feeling the failure that you were, but because of Christ, the child of God that you are now, he has no desire for you to feel that. So quit praying for forgiveness of stuff you've already been forgiven for, unless you've just been saying the prayer just to feel good about yourself, and you really don't want forgiveness. If that's true, make it right. Confess it, which by the way, 1 John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 8, says if we confess our sin, the word confess there, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights with 1 John, the word confess there doesn't mean to say I'm sorry. The word confess there means to say the same thing about it that God does. God, forgive me for lying. Forgive me for deceiving that person for my own selfish benefit. That's a little different prayer than God, forgive me for telling that little white lie. A little bit different when you call sin what God calls it. And we see here, he says, I frankly, verse 42, forgive. That means I freely, freely forgive. He didn't look at, or to any one of them for their worthiness. He didn't look at either one of them and say, hey, you got good potential. I forgive you completely of yours. You got some issues, so I think you're still going to pay me. He forgave them both of their sins, and he sent them home. And he sent them home forgiven. And can I tell you something here? And I know I'm spending some time on point number one. But you know what? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in debt to sin, but you can go home today 
free and forgiven of every wrongdoing in your life. And you can go home with that gift of God that says now you can have peace. You can have it. That sin that you brought with you through the door, you can leave it here and go out with grace, go out with joy, go out with mercy and go out with peace. Or you know what you can do? You can pack back up your sin and carry it with you. It's your choice. But the gift has already been provided. But you've got to come to Christ. We all come to Christ in the same way. We all come to him in the same way. He freely forgives us. It says in Titus chapter 3, verses 4, 5, four, five and 6, For by his mercy he saved us. It's not by our works. It's by his mercy in our life. So number one, we see that we, we all must be saved in the same manner. Number two, we see this. We all must have a deep sense of our own sinfulness. Not only should we all, number one, must all be saved in the same manner. Number two, we all must have a deep sense of our own sinfulness. I've got to have a deep sense or a deep understanding of my sinfulness. You know what our natural flesh says? I have no problem being an expert on your sin. I have no problem telling you what your problem is. I have no problem even giving you a solution to your problem. I am an expert. Do you ever have people like that? They are experts on your sin. They're experts on your faults. And they can tell you exactly what's wrong with you. problem with that is most people that are experts at doing that aren't very experts of showing the grace and love and helping somebody come out of that. That's my spiritual gift, Brother Phil. My spiritual gift is correction. My spiritual gift is illumination. I am going to bring to light the dirt, the darkness, and sin in their life. God has spoken to me, and he has given me exactly what's wrong with them. Can I tell you something? That is not your spiritual gift. You're nosy. Nosiness is not a spiritual gift. But care, love, compassion, showing grace, and giving mercy sure is a spiritual gift. But that takes work. You know what that also does? To truly love somebody the way I should love them in their sin, I've got to be pretty familiar with how deep and dark my sin is. It's hard for me to stand here very pious and very full of myself and look and have compassion on you for what you might be struggling in. Because here's the deal. It don't matter if I'm the pastor of the church. I'm made of the same stuff you are. There's not a person in this room that's not has the ability to do the same sin of anybody else. Every other person in this world that we condemn for what they do, it's only by the grace of God you're not doing the same thing. It's only by His grace. His grace, not your grace. Well, I tell you, I'd never do what... Don't ever say that. You're like begging Satan to bring it on. (laughs) Oh, you'll never do it? (laughs) I'll show you. But you know what? Jesus is trying to get this Pharisee, Simon, to understand something. Simon, only thing you can see in this woman is her being a prostitute. Simon, only thing you can see is her reputation. Simon, only thing you can see is her past. Simon, only thing you see is what she is right there. But Simon, you don't see what I see in you. Simon, you don't see when I look at you, I see the pride. I see the arrogance. And we don't think of this one, the self-sufficiency. I can trust in myself, do it all myself. I can do it. Jesus said, for without me in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. 
Nothing. I can't raise my family. I can't preach. I can't be a good witness. I can't be the right kind of father. I can't do anything. Without me, I can do nothing in my own flesh. I'm going to be the best Christian that I can be for God. You're going to fall flat on your face. Instead, why don't you pray, God, make me into the Christian that you want me to be. You know what that does to me? It takes my hands off of it. And if you're like me, I like having my hands on it. I like being in control. And what he's trying to get him to understand here in this passage of Scripture is this. He's trying to get him to understand, Simon, I know you have a deep sense of understanding of this woman's sin. He said, but Simon, you might want to look at your own sin and see your sin just as bad. Look in verse number 42 and 43. It says at the end of it, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most, the ones that he owed, that owed and forgiven. Look at verse 43. And Simon said, answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And so he tells him, he says, Simon, one owes 500, one owes 50, both have been freely, completely forgiven. Neither one of them could do anything about what they had. They had nothing to pay. They've been freely, no strings attached, forgiven. Which one of the two thinks going to love the creditor more? Simon says, well, we'd all say, I guess the one that owed him 500, the one that owes more will probably love him more than the one that owes the least amount. He goes on to say in the passage, I believe it's verse 47, he looks at the woman, he says unto her, verse 47, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You see the end of verse number 42? The end of verse 42 is Jesus' question, which one of them is going to love him more or the most? And Jesus says, I'm going to give you the answer because, by the way, Jesus never asked a question to which he doesn't already know the answer. He just wanted to see if Simon was going to agree with him. He says, Simon, which one of these two is going to love him most? And he tells Simon, you know what? The ones that have been forgiven a lot, they love him more. And the ones that don't feel like they need much forgiving can kind of give or take. You know why a lot of times in my life, you know a lot of times in a lot of our lives as believers, we can give or take reading our Bible. We can give or take going to church. We can give or take being who God wants us to be in our experiences and our reactions. You know why? Because we don't really feel like we need forgiving much. We haven't done a whole lot wrong. Because when I stop and think about all the really good things I do, those little areas where I fail don't seem to be that big. That's why I can take or leave reading this Bible on Monday. That's why I can take or leave responding in the right way when someone drives me crazy. Because you know what? I'm going to stand up and preach on Sunday, so that should definitely give me at least two, two or three different times I can tell somebody what I think about them. I can respond wrong to my family. You know why? Because I am going to get up Sunday night and I am going to preach. Well, I, I, can, I can lie or deceive someone here because here in a little bit I'm going to have a meal and I can pray, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen, hallelujah, let's eat. I mean, I'm not out there living a horrible and moral life, so I got a little bit of license to sin. As Paul says, we looked at this morning, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And you know what the idea is? The idea is this. He said, Simon, take your eyes off the sin of the woman. And Simon, he says, I want you to look at the need of the woman. You will never help anybody in your life that you love until you take your eyes off their faults and you look and see their need. 
As long as the only thing you see when you look at them is their faults and their failures and their sins, you will never help them and influence them for Christ until you realize, you know what they need? Well, they need to act right. They need Jesus. Well, if they would just, you know, act the right way, say the right way, do these things, no, no, what they need, they need Jesus as their Savior, what they need. And if they know Jesus as their Savior, they need to be right with him. And God just may say, hey, and you're the one I'm tapping on to help them. And I say this, and please understand me when I say it. I love the idea of people that are in our lives that maybe aren't saved or maybe are away from God. I love the idea of saying, if I could just get them to church, if I could just get them to hear a message, if I could just get them there, if I'm not mistaken, when we walk out the doors of the church, the church is us. What if you're the message, the way you live your life, that God says, but your life is what I want to use to see them come to faith in Christ. Your life is what I want to use to draw them closer to me. Your life is what I want to use because I want them to see you being faithful in spite of times you don't want to be faithful, and it's hard to be faithful. And by the way, being faithful is more than being faithful three times. It's a consistent lifestyle. What if God says, hey, it's great Sunday. It's great Sunday night. It's great Wednesday night. I want you to come, okay? Um, but the church isn't just right here. The church is every single one of you. And when you leave these doors, let's just be honest, your life as a believer is the only Bible and sermon that some people will ever read or listen to. They may never, ever sit in a chair. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify not you, your Father, which is in heaven. It's one thing to have them come to church and hear about Christ. It's a whole different thing for them to see it real life and another person that they feel equal to. Total different meaning. Total different game. And the way that happens is when I have a deep sense, a deep understanding of my sin. We're not going to take time to read it, but I encourage you sometime. Paul wrote to in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse number 9 through 11. Paul is reminding this church, and it's verse number 11 is awesome. You ought to read it, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul's talking to this church that's got issues with each other. Thank God, we ain't got any issues. We're good, right? Everybody good. Okay, maybe we're not. Okay, everybody's good, all right? We're good. But you had people in church saying, well, he's a drunk. She's a harlot. He's a thief. She's prideful. That sounds like an awesome business meeting foreman right there, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds great. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and says that liars and thieves and drunkards and harlots and effeminate and abusers of their own self of mankind shall never see the kingdom of heaven. And I love verse 11. And such were some of you. But now are you washed and now are you cleansed and now... Are you justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is what it says. When you look at somebody else and see them in their sin, remember 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you. That's who you were. And the only reason you're not that now is the end of verse 11. Because you've been cleansed, you've been washed, and you've been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by your own self. If you're like me, if nothing else in this message, you know what it makes me want to do? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And Lord, who I am today, I thank you. I don't thank myself. 
I thank you for what you're doing in my life right now. Because God, help me to understand how wicked and rich and how much of a sinner I really am in my own life. And before I go to the last point, I think something that's really good to see. When it comes to these two debtors, it wasn't the amount forgiven. It was the consciousness of the amount. It wasn't the amount forgiven, 50 versus 500. It was the consciousness. Why did one love more? Because the one that owed 500 felt like and knew he owed 500. And the one that owed 50 probably didn't think it was a big deal. Until your sin's a big deal to you, you're probably not going to think forgiveness is a big deal. Or really need. Lastly, number three. Number three, we see this. Not only do we see we all must be saved in the same manner, we all must have a deep sense of our own sinfulness. And if all those are true, number three, this will lead us to show our love as this woman did. This will lead us to show our love as this woman did. So this woman understood her own sinfulness. This woman knew that she needed Christ. And I love verse 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at meat. In verse 37, because of what she understood of her own sin and understood she needed Christ, because of that, it led to action. In verse 37, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. You know what I see in talking about this will lead us to show our love? This woman I see here is this. She had a desire to be near Christ. Well, like I said, the custom was you can come into the house whenever they had a meal, but you need to stay in the corner, stay away. You need to be a fly on the wall. She said, I ain't going to be happy with being a fly on the wall. I got to get near him. I mean, imagine how many people were probably standing in this house, in this dining room, because Jesus was there. Tons of people, probably. Probably went three people. There were people sitting around the table that were important. Everyone else sitting aside. And she wanted to demonstrate her love, saying, it don't matter what the rest of them are doing. I've got to get to him. By the way, even if getting to him means I'm on my hands and knees at his feet. Some of us will never hear from Christ because we'll never get low enough to hear from Christ. We'll never humble ourselves enough to get on our knees to sit at his feet. We want to stand equal eye to eye because this woman had such a great desire to be near him. She said, if it means being on the dusty floor with my hair dirty and I'm at his stinking feet, I will sit there if it means being close to Jesus. Let's just be honest. It don't take a whole lot for us to not seek Christ. It doesn't take much. It takes a headache. It takes, oh, 15 more minutes of sleep. All it takes, I'm just not feeling good today. And if I dare say this, and I know I'm not going to make friends, if how you feel physically keeps you from going to church on Sunday, it's amazing that same feeling doesn't keep you from going to work on Monday. Oh, I've got to go work. i got to make money. You know what it's about? I go to work. I make money. I go to church. It shows a desire to be near Christ. I know that didn't make me popular, but I just felt like we needed to hear that. 
But also about this woman, not only this, we see a desire, but I see a boldness. A boldness. I don't see the woman sitting in the back real quietly saying, Simon, is it all right if I, if I, is it okay? No, I see this woman walking right in and falling down. Well, didn't she probably wonder if it was the right time? I mean, maybe the hors d'oeuvres hadn't been served yet. It wasn't hors d'oeuvres serving time to get down on your knees yet. Maybe it wasn't the right time. And maybe I need to wait till after the meal's over. Maybe I need to wait until the, the prayer for the meal was done. Maybe I should wait. She didn't care. I want to be near him. And she was bold. And she says, I don't care. I'm getting to him. May I, which I do not have in my life, may I have a boldness to be near Christ, to follow Christ, regardless of who or what is around me and who or what thinks whatever they want to about me. Honestly, a lot of people that were scared of what they think would follow us if we would just be bold and lead. They would follow. They would follow. But also, as I mentioned earlier, we see this woman's humility. It's a lot to get on the floor. It's a lot to take your hair and wipe somebody's dusty feet with it. It's a lot to pour the oil out that's very valuable to you. Probably the most valuable thing she had in her possession. And then to wipe it up and cry. That's a pretty humble place. I have in my notes this. What moves you to weep? What moves you to get so bold so you don't care about pressures and people around you. You just got to make this happen. What gets you that emotional? What, get, what moves you? What just grips you emotionally? Can I ask you, is it Christ? And how holy he is? And how perfect he is? And how much I'm not? But he loves me anyways. He forgives me anyways. And then lastly, I love this part. I need to initiate her repentance. I need to initiate her repentance. You say, what do you mean? Um, You don't see her laying there saying, Jesus, before this crowd and everyone around me, I just want you to know that I am sorry for all of my wicked ways that she did. She couldn't even say a word. But I love how Jesus, if you finish up here, look what it says in verse number 47. It says, wherefore I say unto thee. Now, by the way, he's looking at Simon. He's talking to Simon, but he's looking at her. He's looking at her. By the way, up to this point, Jesus hadn't said a word to her yet. I find that amazing. Jesus hadn't said when she poured it out, started wiping and crying. Jesus has not said one word to her yet. And still hasn't. He finally looks at her and then says to Peter, not talking to her yet, he says, Peter, her sins are many. But they're forgiven. She's loved much. To whom, whom little is forgiven, the same loveth. And then, for the first time, verse number 48, after she had done all this, she didn't say a word to her, after all of this, after all her humility, all of her boldness, all of her not caring if it's the right time or not, and desiring being near God, Jesus finally, in verse number 48, looks and says, Thy sins are forgiven. I wonder what kind of load it took off her to hear those words. You're forgiven completely. You're restored completely. And by the way, how did he forgive her? The end of verse number 50. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Have faith enough in the God that can give you peace. Everybody in this room is going to walk out the door here, Lord willing, in just a moment.
And you can walk out of this room like this woman that came in. You can walk out of here with your sins and your failures and your discouragement and all the ways you failed God. And you can walk out the same way you walked in. You can also be like Simon, the Pharisee, feeling pretty good about having Jesus in his home. Feeling pretty good about everything that he is. And not really looking at what your own personal faults and failures are. Both that woman and both Simon could have all focused on that. And they both would have left with no peace. But because the faith of this woman that she had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because she saw her need is not acceptance. Her need is salvation. Jesus said because of your faith. You have peace. Can I ask you something today? Do you have peace in your life? And how's your faith? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great faith equals great peace. Lack of faith, lack of peace. Let's stand together if you would. Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank the time we could be together.